Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the February 10th, 2023 Friday reading of the New York Times Travel Section. My name is Michelle Wexler. Today we begin with the following main articles, the no-jet set. They've given up flying to save the planet, written by Deborah Kamen. And 36 Hours in New Orleans, written by Richard Fawcett, and following up with miscellaneous articles. We begin with the first article, the no-jet set. They've given up flying to save the planet. With airlines producing a large amount of climate warming emissions, a growing number of travelers are signing pledges to keep their journeys on the ground, written by Deborah Kamen. These days, the skies don't seem so inviting. Airfares are climbing, passengers are fighting, computer systems and entire airlines are melting down. Any of those might be reason enough for some to stay off a plane. But for a small yet growing number of travelers, the problem with air travel goes way further. They are giving up flying because of its impact on the climate. I choose to stay grounded because it aligns with what is true, said Dan Castrogano, 36, a former teacher who in 2020 signed a pledge not to travel by air. The climate is breaking down. The last eight years on Earth have been the hottest on record. Sea level rise is accelerating, and extreme weather events are happening more often than ever. Air travel accounts for about 4% of human-induced global warming, and the United Nations warns that airplane emissions are set to triple by 2050. Planes are becoming more efficient, but our appetite for air travel is outpacing the industry's environmental gains. One Boeing 747 carrying 416 passengers from Heathrow Airport in London to Edinburgh produces the same carbon dioxide as 336 cars traveling the same distance, according to BBC Science Focus, a peer-reviewed magazine, though such comparisons depend on a wide range of factors like fuel efficiency and even the time of day. That jumbo carbon footprint is leading many activists and scientists to issue rallying cries to fly less or not at all. This is a climate emergency, said Peter Kalmus, a climate scientist with the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, who founded No Fly Climate Sci, an online forum on the link between aviation and climate change. When you get on a plane, not only are you responsible for emissions, but you're also casting a vote to continue expanding that system. Trading wings for wheels. Mr. Castrogano, who lives in Burlington, Vermont, spent more than a decade as a middle school teacher. He traveled extensively during that time, but has become increasingly concerned about the pace of climate change over the past five years. Neither he nor his wife, Laura, has taken a flight since 2019, 
and in 2021, Mr. Castragano left his classroom job to take on a new role as chief content officer at Subject to Climate, a nonprofit organization that provides climate-related teaching resources. Staying on the ground doesn't mean he stays put. He takes frequent bicycle trips around Vermont. When he travels shorter distances, he drives an all-electric Nissan Leaf. Next month, when a good friend gets married in California, he and his family will take several weeks to make their way across the country by train, a choice that, according to the 2021 U.S. Department of Energy data book, is 34% more energy efficient per passenger than traveling by air. I would love to visit every place on Earth, he said, but my mental health would be poor if I were to fly. In 2020, Mr. Castragano signed a pledge at Flight Free USA to not travel on airplanes that year, and he has renewed the pledge annually. His community of fellow signatories is small. Ariella Granite, a co-founder of the site, says 365 people signed on in 2022, and in past years the number has climbed to nearly 450. Flight Free has a larger presence in Australia and Britain, and across Europe, a number of similar organizations are rallying travelers to abandon air travel. Ms. Granite, 46, works as an architect and an interior designer in Berkeley, California. She has been a climate activist for decades, she said, but felt the need for more critical action during California's increasingly ferocious and destructive recent wildfire seasons. Living through that brought the climate urgency deep into my gut, Ms. Granite said. I don't think I'll ever be on a plane again. Like most travelers committed to reducing or eliminating their air travel, she shuns the idea of carbon offsets, in which carbon credits can be purchased, often through actions like planting trees, in exchange for greenhouse gases emitted. As climate change intensifies, critics say that rather than erasing carbon in the atmosphere, the practice preys on travelers' guilt and offers an excuse to pollute without producing viable results. Many point to intensifying wildfires in the American West, which have burned down forests planted with carbon offset funds, as a metaphor for the inefficiency of offsets. I actually think it would be better for people to fly without offsets, but be aware of the pollution they're making, rather than just thinking, oh, I solved that problem, Ms. Granite said. Ms. Granite was inspired to start Flight Free USA, she said, after reading a 2019 article in Vox about a group in Sweden that was committed to breaking the air travel habit. Flight shame goes global. There is perhaps no country on earth with more anti-flight activists than Sweden, where by 2020, 15,000 people had signed a nationwide pledge to travel without flying for at least one year. The nonprofit behind that movement, We Stay on the Ground, is currently raising funds and hopes to get 100,000 signatories in the next few years. 
Many Americans are aware of Sweden's young climate activist Greta Thunberg, who in 2019 chose to sail across the Atlantic on an emissions-free yacht to speak to the United Nations. But Swedes, who have coined a word, flag scam, to describe the shame associated with flying, point to earlier figures, including the opera singer Malena Ernman, who is Ms. Thunberg's mother, and the journalist Jens Liljenstrand, as those who started the trend. A lot of people think that what you do as an individual doesn't matter much. But the thing is, what we do as individuals affects everyone around us and changes norms, said Maya Rosen, 41, the president of We Stay on the Ground, who gave up flying in 2008. Ms. Rosen, who lives in Sweden, now travels primarily by train. We Stay on the Ground inspired the flight-free movements in Britain and Australia, as well as Flight-Free USA. There are other grassroots movements, too. Stay Grounded, a global network of more than 150 organizations promoting alternatives to air travel, was founded in 2016 and has its headquarters in Austria. Byway, a British travel planning company founded during the COVID-19 lockdown, allows customers to plan flight-free itineraries across Europe. There are so many beautiful places all over the world. But do we want to visit them and destroy them at the same time? Said Anne Kretschmar, 31, who lives in Cologne, Germany, and runs Stay Grounded's Reframing Project, which focuses on combating greenwashing, a practice in which organizations portray themselves as more eco-friendly than they really are. She travels by train, bike, and foot, on a recent trip between Italy and Morocco, she took a ferry. She'd like to go to more places, but says she doesn't want to contribute to forces that are causing environmental disasters. We can see many absurd things, like people flying to see the coral reefs before they die, she said, noting that climate change is a main culprit in the reefs' deaths. Airlines are making an effort to fly more sustainably, with pledges to achieve net zero carbon emissions in the next three decades and move toward alternative fuels and electric power. Airlines for America, a trade association that lobbies on behalf of airlines, said in a statement that the industry was working with the U.S. government to reduce its footprint even as, the group said, U.S. carriers transport over 2 million passengers and more than 65,000 tons of cargo per day while contributing just 2% of the nation's greenhouse gas emissions. Activists say that progress isn't coming fast enough and are pushing for frequent flyers to at least consider small changes, which they say could add up to big differences. We get a lot of American customers who will fly into Europe, but then we'll help them travel around for two weeks through various European countries using sleeper trains, said Kat Jones, founder and chief executive at Byway. The shift, she said, allows them to travel slowly and soak up more experiences. 
Many of her clients still opt to fly across the Atlantic rather than travel by boat, she said, citing research that shows cruise ships can actually emit more carbon per passenger than jets do. Mr. Castrogano says that if the day comes when vessels like the one used by Ms. Thunberg in her 2019 crossing are more available, he would jump aboard. I would love to visit every place on Earth and, like Greta, get on a boat and head somewhere else. But right now, I'm sort of limited to this continent, he said. Cutting back, but not to zero. Will and Claire Steddon, both 34 who live in Madison, Wisconsin, are taking a slightly more flexible approach. The couple are excited for their next flight, even though it won't happen for several years. They point to guidance from Take the Jump, a website devoted to simple changes we can all make to combat climate change, citing scientific research that travelers can stay sustainable by limiting long-haul flights to once every eight years or domestic trips to once every three. The two have been flight-free for three years and plan to wait five more before taking a trip to Europe. For now, they chronicle their bike and train trips on Instagram, and Mr. Steddon, a data scientist, believes that he appreciates his travels more. Mr. Castrogano, the former teacher who has vowed to forgo air travel, said, People think of just flying anywhere we want, at the drop of a hat, as being something normal, adding, But if you stop thinking of it as normal, all of a sudden, you start thinking in terms of places you truly want to go. Ms. Rosen of We Stay on the Ground said the shift to ground transportation has also helped her redefine travel. We need to think about what we really want from our vacations and why we need to go so far away to get that, she said. A lot of people who take the flight-free pledge say they wouldn't change it even if they could because when you travel by train, the trip itself becomes part of the adventure. That story, entitled The No-Jet Set, They've Given Up Flying to Save the Planet, written by Deborah Kamen. Deborah Kamen covers real estate for The Times. Next up, 36 Hours in New Orleans, written by Richard Fawcett. Richard Fawcett is a New York Times national correspondent who grew up in New Orleans. Nearly two decades after the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans remains smaller in population, but arguably richer than ever in cultural treasures. Forced to justify its very existence, the city doubled down on venerating its charming and curious customs and neighborhood gems. Today, there are new ways to engage with the city's history, arts scene, and natural beauty, including the Lafitte Greenway, a biking and pedestrian path linking the French Quarter to the lovely and less touristed area around City Park. For those visiting in the near term, Mardi Gras season is underway, with its street-level carnival traditions ranging from satirical to cheeky, to strange and sublime. The festivities culminate in a citywide street party on Fat Tuesday, which this year falls on February 21st. Itinerary, Friday, 3 p.m. 
get your historical bearings. In the French Quarter, the city's colonial heart, gimmicky ghost tours are as common as cockroaches. A better way to commune with the spirits is to visit the historic New Orleans Collections Museum on Royal Street, free, which opened in April 2019 after a $38 million restoration and expansion of an 1816 mansion. Artifacts like advertisement for the 1859 opening of the French Opera House, with text in French and English, evoke ghost worlds, the Opera House burned down in 1919. An 18-minute film on French Quarter history, projected across four walls, covers 300-plus years of immigration, epidemics, nation-to-nation handoffs, and the neighborhood's libertine streak. The gift shop is one of the best in town. Find handmade wooden spoons for stirring a roux, $21, and Prince of New Orleans Musicians by the local photographer Michael P. Smith from $35 unframed. 5.30 p.m., drink to your health. Bourbon Street beckons just one block away with its river of whiskey-fueled partying pedestrians. If you find yourself, say, rapping tone loke lyrics at a random karaoke joint, no one will judge. For a less cacophonous experience, seek out Jewel of the South, a bar restaurant set in an old Creole cottage on St. Louis Street, where the city's storied cocktail tradition is both reverently upheld and inventively remixed. Start with a tart, lively brandy crusta, $16, a 19th-century New Orleans invention, served in a sugar-encrusted glass. Then move on to a night tripper, $14, named for New Orleans's piano giant Mac Remenac, also known as Dr. John. It is a round, mellow, confident concoction of bourbon, amaro, liqueur strega, and Peychaud's bitters, the drink equivalent of one of Rebenac's more restrained Duke Ellington covers. 7 p.m. break on through to the Gaelic side. In the Bywater, a formerly working-class neighborhood hugging the Mississippi River that has been altered of late by an influx of the hip and the bourgeois, the bar scene is charmingly scruffy and low-key. Have dinner at N7, named for the old auto route from Paris to the French Riviera. The restaurant opened in 2015, but exudes the offhand wabi-sabi of a local institution decades older. Savor a natural wine in a bar adorned with vintage Parisian flotsam, an old Cahiers du Cinema cover, a photo of Jane Birkin as Melody Nelson and order the reliably comforting Coke a Riesling, $25. For the budget-minded, there are hard-boiled eggs, $1 at the bar, set in a wire carousel. For live music nearby, try Saturn Bar, a Kennedy-era dive with an eclectic gamut spanning cumbia to spiky dance punk. 9 p.m., shake your moneymaker. Friday is usually Brass Band Night, $10 cover, at Bullets Sports Bar, a friendly corner tavern in the 7th Ward neighborhood. Pass the vigorous security pat-down at the door, sidle up to the bar, and order a vodka setup, $18. 
a half pint of Absolute with plastic cups for your friends and mixers for an added charge. Sporty's Brass Band has been holding down the Friday gig at Bullets recently. The band's job is to levitate this workaday bar the way yippies once sought to levitate the Pentagon. Unlike the yippies, Sporty's success rate hovers around 100%. Note Bullets oddly does not allow patrons under the age of 30 on live music nights. If you are younger, it's not like you don't have options. Saturday, 8 a.m., grab a biscuit uptown. The six-mile commercial corridor of Magazine Street is a glorious mishmash of retail shops, art galleries, and good places to eat, with surprises on nearly every block. For breakfast uptown, stop in for a flaky cheddar and chive biscuit, $4.75, at La Boulangerie, a New Orleans take on a classic French bakery with a happy thrum on Saturday mornings. Take it to go and stroll along Magazine Street, taking notes on places you might want to hit up when they open later in the day. Magpie is a standout vintage clothing and jewelry store, and Sisters in Christ, which sells records and books, is well attuned to the city's DIY arts underground. Shawarma on the go, inside a Jetgo gas station, is notable for its Lebanese iced tea with pine nuts. Crunchy, cold, aromatic, and savory sweet, the drink is a local spin on a traditional Lebanese drink called jalab. 11 a.m., paddle the urban bayou. In the city's earlier days, Bayou St. John was a crucial boat traffic route from Lake Pontchartrain to the heart of the French settlement. Since Hurricane Katrina, the placid waterway has undergone significant ecological restoration and now presents paddlers with a mashup of city vibes and Louisiana wild. Kayak Etiat offers a two-hour kayak tour for $49 per person and launches from a spot about three miles from the French Quarter. Beginners welcome, reserve ahead. You may see turtles in the mud, egrets and pelicans fishing on the surface, and the occasional alligator on the lurk. You will likely float by the Pittet House, the 1799 West Indies-style home once occupied by New Orleans's first U.S. mayor. You may also exchange pleasantries with neighbors out walking their dogs along the banks. 1.30 p.m. Taste the Best of Mid-City Explore New Orleans's food at its casual best in the Mid-City area, an eclectic mix of residential neighborhoods. The eggplant parmesan, $17, with a side of gumbo, $8, at Liuza's, shows how Sicilian immigrants have contributed to the Creole culinary conversation, while Parkway Bakery and Tavern turns out some of the city's best po'boys, which it began serving nearly a century ago to feed striking streetcar operators. The tiny and affordable 1,000 Figs, a falafel and hummus place with a short, smart wine list, gives a taste of New Orleans's recent love affair with Middle Eastern cooking. 
and Katie's is a classic haunt, notable for its side street charm and a menu full of gut-busting local specialties, including a signature crawfish beignet, $16. 3.30 p.m., meander in a sculpture garden. The Sydney and Walda Besthoff Sculpture Garden, free, on 11 acres in New Orleans City Park, was expanded in 2019. Here, the primordial South Louisiana landscape meets the shock of the new, with nearly 100 contemporary sculptures from the likes of Frank Gehry, Anish Kapoor, and Larry Bell set amid lagoons and the hulking, twisting majesty of live oak trees. A 70-foot glass bridge designed by Ellen Zimmerman is adorned with depictions of the Mississippi River's snaking paths. An indoor pavilion features another Mississippi River-themed work from Maya Lin, the designer of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., which uses glassy green marbles to depict the river and its tributaries. The work spreads up a wall and onto the ceiling, suggesting the untamable nature of water, despite the best intentions of levee builders. And that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us for the New York Times Travel Section. My name is Michelle Wexler. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.